Hello, history enthusiasts. Welcome to the Rural Experience in America Community Civics Through Historical Inquiry podcast. The National Council for History Education, a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium, is pleased to present to you a series of podcasts spotlighting the public history projects created by teachers, community partners, and students from all over the United States. My name is Talia, and today I'll be talking to one of the 11 educators who participated in the first year of this project. Listen in as we learn more about how they integrated public history into their classrooms. Let's welcome to the podcast, Valencia Abbott. My name is Valencia Abbott. I am a social studies teacher at Rockingham Early College High School in Wentworth, North Carolina. At my school, our students are able to get an associate degree along with their high school diploma, and it's a five-year program. I currently am teaching three different courses, civic literacy, American history, and economics and personal finance. So I would love to learn more about your project, Rural Education in Rockingham County during the Jim Crow era, 1920 through 1970. To start this project, I have to go back a couple of years. So uh, I am on the program committee at my local museum, the Museum of Archives of Rockingham County. And in 2018, we were trying to come up with programs and the name of Griggs came up and it made me think, oh yeah, that is the Supreme Court case. Didn't know a lot about it. And then I realized that in 2021 was going to be the 50th anniversary of that Supreme Court decision. So the case is Griggs versus Duke Power Company. 13 plaintiffs or 13 African-American men are going to file suit against Duke Power, which is one of the largest and strongest entities in North Carolina at that time, and they're going to win. And it's um, employment discrimination, but it's also set at the end of what we would call the modern civil rights movement, uh, 1945 until about 1972-1975, that a lot of people just don't even know the case exists. So from there, working from 2018 to 2021 with this case and doing the research and acknowledging the 50th anniversary, when the opportunity to, to come to work with uh, NCHE with rural education, I was planning to do this anyway. So this, this the stars just lined up that uh, I wanted to focus on the education part of the case because the education of the men had a lot to do with the outcome of the case. So my project is looking at rural education during the time that the men would have been in school during this time and then the scope of what education looked during the time until the case was decided. I have 10 students and they are all with my history club at school. So I am um, really pl- proud that I get to work with students that I already have a relationship with so we can build off of that. But their their objective is to get one oral history interview from 
anybody, as long as they went to the school, they went to school in Rockingham County during those years. And we're advising them to start off with family. That would be the easiest way uh, to do that. So in the end, hopefully we will have at least 10 all history interviews. And then we're going to deconstruct the information that we get from them um, in January and February. And on March 8th, which is the date the Supreme uh, of the Supreme Court decision, we will be presenting a virtual program through the MARC that will talk about the project, that will talk about the research and the impact uh, that that had on the case, but also we're really looking at what does rural education look like during this period. I'm very curious to know how you use primary sources in your project. Because we're looking at a time period when a lot of our primary sources are still here with us. Uh, so that is the first one, um, going straight to the to the source uh, with that. And that actually, I think, helps my students a lot because usually when you think of primary sources, they think of something that they're either going to go on the computer and look at or a document to, to see that but to think of a primary source in a different way and to have that experience of getting this information. And for, the, and for many of them, it may be the first time that they're ever hearing these stories. But primary sources, the, the, the usual way, the internet, um, the Library of Congress, we've made use of the uh, resources at our campus or on our campus because my school is located on a community college campus, we have access to a probably a larger library facility than most high schools. Um, so they have an, an extens- extensive collection. So we went, we was looking at yearbooks, uh, newspaper clippings. And one of the most uh, probably exciting part of this is that my students got to use microfilm for the first time, which they were like that they were fascinated with that because one of them told me oh that's the thing in stranger things <laughs> and i was and i was taken back because i was like no that's how i did research in high school so it definitely dated me <laughs> because they're thinking oh this is just this so removed from from their everyday existence and it was but to actually go and for them to uh set in front of the machine and twist the buttons and look for the material so real historical experience with primary sources that's fantastic and the tactile experience of using microfilm too is just so different than doing a search on the internet or something like that. Yes, and think about that experience that they're going to bring to to their college beyond um, what we have here, experience that they're going to go there, and they're going to have that expertise that they know what microfilm is, and they know that there's another avenue for their research in, in whatever path that they're going to go. Kind of similarly, uh, you talked about how your school just by its nature, being on a, on a campus provides you with so many resources, but I'd also love to learn more about the resources that you get from your community partners. And I would 
love for you to talk about your community partner's influence on this project. The person that I'm working with is Dr. Debbie Russell, and she is also a member of the uh, program committee uh, with the MARC, the Museum of Archives of Rockingham County. Um, So I was aware of her dissertation on school segregation. So that was the, the initial reason that I reached out to her and so glad that she said yes. So the museum which is actually probably five minutes from from our campus, um, is a relationship that I've had for over 10 years. And they have been really accommodating with almost any project or idea that I have. And because my focus, my personal and professional focus is on Black history and to be able to tell those undertold and neglected stories, I like the availability of having the museum support that. So whether they are joining me on a meeting with the North Carolina State Archive, which we've we've done two weeks ago, to, okay, we're going to create this program, we're going to do this program, and having the students come in and using the facilities there. So just really accommodating and the difference that it's going to make in the uh, community. The project, the Griggs versus uh, Duke Power Company um, project, we have just been awarded from the state of North Carolina a civil rights historical marker. And they're only issuing 50 across the whole state. Congratulations. Thank you. So I know that the things that my students are researching will have not only only immediate impact for them, um, but it will have a lasting impact in our community because we're we're saving these stories. What are some of the rewards and benefits of completing a public history project of this scale, besides the accomplishments you've already noted? Not funny that you asked me that question, but I think it's really relevant because This week is final exam week at at our school, and two um, former students stopped by because, you know, they're they're out of uh, their college. And so they stopped by to to, uh, see me, and one of the things that they were talking about was not only the experience in my class, but the opportunities that they were given through the projects that are created. Okay, um, that the network that they have, the confidence that they have when they're going to other places. So one of them is at Morehouse, and the other one that came by to see me is at Central. Because he went through the early college, he's going to be graduating in this May. So our students usually can graduate two years earlier with their bachelor's. It's those research skills, it's those things that is not necessarily based to knowing certain facts, but it's that whole experience that works no matter if they're going into history or not. Do I want all of my students to be historians? Yes. (laughs) Will they be? No. But the skill set, that these project brings about means that they can fulfill their success, their dreams more confidently. And I think 
that's the same thing as I want to know that I've given them the things, the tools, the skills that they need, that they can be successful and happy with that. And that's what these projects do. Are they time consuming? Is that a lot? Yes, but the rewards are great. What a great answer to that question. Thank you. (laughs) Kind of on the flip side, I would also love to hear some challenges of completing a public history project. One, 20th century history is not my thing. And I truly have been out of my comfort zone since I started this Griggs project in 2018. My preference is 19th century. Everybody's dead. I just need to go to the archives, find what I need and go about my business. Completing this and the challenges of peopling to to engage and to get all of that has been difficult uh, at times, Uh, not only for myself, but I know that that's going to be something my students are also going to encounter Um, because my students also have their schedule. They still have their courses that they have to do. I've set this up so that they are doing it on a Saturday. So can you imagine that 10 teenagers volunteered at least five Saturdays? Well, no, four Saturdays. And the virtual program is going to be on, I think the March 8th is on a Wednesday. So they've committed to this time outside of their regular schedule. So coming up with dates, coming up times that will work for me and Dr. Russell that would work for them can be challenging. Finding the resources that, they're, that they need, because even though this is contemporary history, when we talk about Black history in particular, a lot of that evidence is not there. So how do I help my students find what we need with the realization that we may not find the evidence and how do we deal with that? Because that's also another part that we do to have someone to work on something and say, well, I know it's there. Yeah, but you don't have the evidence to back that up and to teach them that, you know what, we're just going to have to just leave it there. That's where it landed. And we're going to have to walk away. So teaching them that skill as well, every path that we go down may not result in what we're hoping to find and to get them to understand that. And it and it doesn't make you happy because you've spent hours looking for something or talking to someone and was like, but I don't have anything. It's like, yeah, that's the reality. Do you have any advice for any other educators who are interested in creating a similar public history project with their students or in a similar educational setting as you are in? One, I would say start small. When I first started working with students, I recruited two and we worked on that first program for for a year and understanding that working with students in the classroom where a grade isn't tied to it is a lot different from working on a different project. So you have to have a different kind of teacher-student relationship with them. And it's more of a collaboration rather than you're the student and I'm the teacher and understanding that dynamic because they are bringing their talent, their skill set, and their time as well and making sure that you honor that. 
um, also telling them the benefits of that because I'm working with high school students. I was like, oh, you get to put this on your college application. And they may not realize that this is a really marketable event for them and letting them know. Start small, start with something that you're truly passionate about. Don't create a project if if you're like, if you really do not have an interest in it because it is time consuming. So it has to be something that you're going to have to be all in. And if you're not, then you're going to get frustrated a lot. The next thing is to build a network outside of your classroom to support. Like I said, I've been working with the Mark for over 10 years and I cannot think of one no that they've ever told me. It may not have been on the timetable that I wish it was, but they have been remarkable in letting me be this history nerd. Because I am a history teacher, but the mark and my interactions with the mark has made me a historian. So yes, I'm a history teacher, but I'm also a historian um, that I will have people that will come to me, not as, as the teacher, but as a historian and to do these projects, which has expanded into the classroom because then I come in with a different enthusiasm in my classroom that, that shows up because then it's not just about grading, it's really about the content. And I can see that that is one of the things that truly keeps me going. And we talk about teacher burnout and things, and, I, and I'm there, and I understand that we as teachers have 10,000 and one things on our plate. But to have your passion to bubble up into the classroom really helps because those 10,000 and one things are not going to go away. And I enjoy doing it. I really really enjoy doing it. I would tell any teacher to go for it, um, to seek opportunities, especially with NCHE, because you have the support there and that they will never know where this is going to end. Because if someone had told me in 2018, when this seed was planted, that I would be here, that we're getting ready to get a historical marker, Um, that we're getting national recognition. No, that was not in the plan. So not only the personal benefits for me, but what that is expanding my universe for my students. So, yes. Thank you so much to Valencia Abbott for giving us a sneak peek into her creative process. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will also listen to other teachers, community partners, and students as they share their impressive public history projects that connect students with their community's history. You can find all the stories on our website at nchieteach.org. This podcast has been produced by Regina Holland, Program Manager at National Council for History Education, and Talia Smith, the Teaching with Primary Sources intern at the Library of Congress. NCHE is a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium. This podcast contains samples of Bulldoze Blues by Eleanor Ellis and Henry Thomas. It was retrieved by Deanne Arthur and Rick Arthur 
via the collection of Music Box Project materials found at the Archive of Folk Culture American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. It can also be found on the Citizen DJ website. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to all of the teachers, community partners, and students who participated in the creation of this podcast. Until next time. <laughs>